really matching probiotics. Probiotics are not new. That's not new to the last two to five years, but the matching of probiotics to a hormone condition is new. So for example, if you have low progesterone, what is the microbial kind of conversation around that? Oftentimes it's candida. If you have estrogen dominance, what's the microbial conversation around that? Oftentimes you're deficient in a couple of strains of lactobacillus. So this more personalized, individualized matching is absolutely new. Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey guys, Dr. Axe here. If you're wanting to burn more calories, looking to detox from food, drink, and environmental toxins, or looking to ease stress after a long day, then look no further than the infrared sauna blanket from Bond Charge. Bond Charge is a holistic wellness brand with a huge range of evidence-based products to optimize your life in every way. Their sauna blanket works by using infrared light directly to the body rather than air which surrounds you like a traditional sauna. Just one session will help you to burn up to 600 calories a day, flush heavy metals and toxins from your body, and release good mood endorphins. That's all the benefits of a traditional sauna. Plus, it takes less than one minute to set up, it heats up quickly, and it's easy to clean and store away. It's truly a great addition to any wellness routine. To get a big discount on yours, go to bondcharge.com slash axe, that's A-X-E, and use the code axe to save 15%. Hey everyone, Dr. Josh Axe here. Welcome to the podcast. This week we have a fantastic guest, a friend of mine, Dr. Taz Bhatia, MD, and she's a board board certified integrative medical physician. She's a wellness expert and the founder of a really successful clinic in Atlanta, Georgia. And, you know, she's gained a lot of notoriety because she has helped so many women specifically and some men transform their hormonal health. And I've been so impressed as I've read her articles, watched her videos over the years where she's really talked to women about how to heal their thyroid, how to overcome issues like hot flashes, how to improve their fertility. You know, I've seen her with men do amazing things with raising their testosterone. So today we're going to talk about everything related to hormones and want to say, hey, uh, Dr. Taz, welcome to the show today. Oh my gosh, Dr. Axe, thank you so much for having me on. I'm passionate about this topic as I know you are too, so I'm thrilled to be here. We know uh, hormonal health is something that's just so, so important. And I can tell you when I first opened my functional medicine clinic, which I no longer operate, but when I did in Nashville, I think coming out of school, I, I thought I would be seeing more people with issues like chronic pain and heart disease and diabetes. Mm-hmm. But the number one condition I had people coming to my clinic for was hormone related issues and actually thyroid issues was probably at the very, very top. I'd love to actually hear from you. What are some of the most common issues that you take care of and you've seen great success with in in your clinics? I mean, there's a list, right? But I think that the majority are probably focused down to probably three buckets if I had to really narrow it down. Uh, One is hormone health. So all things hormones, and that means everything from fertility, PCOS, perimenopause, menopause, andropause, 
Hashimoto's, you name it, insulin resistance, all of that stuff. So, you know, that's a huge bucket, but like all things in health and you know this, everything's connected. So we end up spending a ton of time talking about inflammation and all the different disorders and diseases of inflammation. So that's the entire autoimmune world. That's even things like cancer, you know, that's uh, mental health stuff. So that's another big bucket. And I would say the third one is gut, you know, all the things gut related, whether that's as simple as constipation and diarrhea or as complex as inflammatory bowel disease and so much more. So, you know, and I, and I separate it out, but ultimately they're all combined back up together. Right. And so those are the things though, that I think are driving people in and the demand is kind of, you know, it's crazy. I've been doing this for 15 years and I, I still kind of pinch myself a little bit because I really thought in my medical journey that this was going to be a hobby practice or like something I did on the side. And I would, I would continue to work in the emergency room and do that type of work. But, you know, it's been 15 years and patients are still so hungry for this information and for someone to quarterback this information and really help them to healing. So we're, we're blessed. We're fortunate. We're able, you know, to really deliver that information to the patient, but the issues around hormones and women's health continue to be just I feel like they're shrouded in like this big cloud or mystery where, you know, you get a little bit of information over here, you get a little bit over there, you know, everyone has a different opinion. And so I really wanted to like tackle that one and help everyone, you know, sift through that information. Cause honestly, it's a lot of how I came into the field to begin with. You know, one of the things that I I'd felt synergy with you in terms of our brains the first time talking to you is you've done a really good job of bringing in this sort of west and east right and i think that this is just absolutely so critical you know when i look at a lot of the health influencers out there today and even some clinics and practices they're so one-dimensional right and so you you go in there and influencers it's all about keto or all about paleo or all about just take this one supplement or do this one therapy and the reality is as practitioners when we, we, we've experienced that, that you don't need a pill, you need a protocol, you really need to change a way of living. There are typically many factors that are related to somebody's health. Talk to me a little bit about the way that you practice and how it's really more multidimensional. And I, just to give you an example here, like sometimes people will go into a practice and they're like, just take this one peptide, right? right? Which are uh, growing now, right. peptides or whatever. It's the latest thing, and, peptides. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. what it always is. It's right. the latest thing. Right. Talk to me about also the connection between holistic diagnosis and holistic treatment. Oh my gosh. You know, I love these questions. So I'm really passionate about this so much. So I feel like I'm going blue in the face a little bit, trying to explain to like very conventional medical executive types that this is really how medicine needs to be. But you know, what we are doing is merging the best of Eastern and Western medicine. And what's happening there, remember, Eastern medicine looked at the whole person. They didn't have a lot of fancy x-ray machines and blood tests and all that business thousands of years ago. We're, we're talking back, you know, 5,000 years ago. So they got really good. And you know this, they got really good at observing your face, your tongue, yeah. what your pulse was doing, your color, you know, asking really tough lifestyle questions, you know, like, where are you living? What's your environment like? You know, what's the quality of food you're eating? And out of those questions, whether we're talking Ayurveda, whether we're talking Chinese medicine or any of the other Eastern modalities, they developed a systematic way to understand people. 
and they would characterize people right into again general types now we're all individuals but general patterns general patterns of dysfunction general patterns of imbalances even hormone imbalances they recognized all of that without a single lab test but they connected it to what i've been talking a lot about to our multi-layered bodies right so i've been talking a lot about you know, and, and this is not new for me or for you, right? This has been around for thousands of years, how we have a physical body, but we also have an emotional body, a mental body, a spiritual body, and then a, what, I, what I'm calling a social body, which is really how we live our lives, mm. but they're all connected. And that connection, Eastern medicine recognized, right? So if your liver, for example, wasn't working really well, well, then that would affect your breast health or that would maybe trigger other issues. And if you're angry all the time, that anger would get stored in the liver and it would crash your hormones. So they connected yeah. these dots. Western medicine, right? With my conventional sort of MD training, we don't think, you know, we're not taught to think that way. It's very symptom treatment protocol. And there are these sort of very clear lines, but there's no recognition of, hey, how is this person feeling or what's going on in their life or you know, how how does everything else in their body connect to this particular issue that they're having? So our approach, and when I set out to open the clinics now, you know, 15 years ago, it was just really honestly to bring in this sort of, you know, east-west approach to thinking about a patient and applying their diagnostics, right? Let me observe you. Let me do, we do pulse and tongue diagnosis. We do all that stuff, right? So let me do all of that while I'm also getting blood tests and, you know, ordering yeah. extras if I need it or making a referral if I need it. And by merging those two systems of medicine, we literally expanded the toolbox for the patient. We expanded how they think about their body. We also expanded the, what their options are. So, you know, you could come to me with something and I'll be like, okay, I really think that this particular diet, these lifestyle changes, these energetic blocks may make the difference. If they don't, then we're going to try a couple of these, maybe supplements or nutraceuticals. We'll see if that's where your body is deficient. This is what the labs are telling us. But if we're not getting anywhere, we'll probably turn to medication. And through that journey with now over 35,000 patients, I would say 85% of them are able to heal themselves before I even have to dip into the pharmaceutical box. And so yeah. I think that's just such a powerful way of doing medicine. And so it's not only dealing with their symptoms, but it's also like changing their lives. I mean, those are my, yeah. you know, those are, that's the fun stuff, right? Like when, you know, 90 days later or four months later, someone's able to be like, okay, wait, I'm ready to start that business or, or wait, I think, I think I'm ready to have a, you know, start a family or I got pregnant or I'm ready to get divorced, whatever it is, you know, but they're really able to move forward with their life. And those stories and those visits are some of my favorites. And I think the practice just keeps growing for that reason. So that's that's how we bring in the diagnostic part. And then the treatment part too is also tapping into that, right? Like which layer of you needs the most work? And that's the layer we're going to focus on. And that toolbox may be acupuncture, herbs, a diet change, an exercise regimen, or it may be that you actually need some hormone replacement therapy and let's talk about the right way to do that. So that's the way we think about it. I have a lot of thoughts on this. And the first is, this is why I put you in the top 1% of, of you know, hormone, just general health practitioners out there in MDs because of the way you think. You know, what, One of the things I've noticed over the years in talking with thousands and thousands of doctors is somebody that's really more masterful at the art of medicine is it's not cookie cutter. It is, it is an, it is an art. I mean, you, you are, you are 
bringing in, in so many different elements in the diagnostics and in the recommendations. I have another one of those uh, one percenters, a good friend of mine, his name's uh, Gil Banami. He's a oriental medical doctor and acupuncturist. And like when I go to see him, so he's, he's one of the people that treat me. Yeah. And so he'll say, you know, he'll feel my pulse and he'll say, okay, I can tell there's some things pent, pent, pent up inside you. And so like his recommendations will be everything from, Hey, let's get the liver moving a little bit. Let's do some beetroot or artichoke and dandelion. Hey, let's do some, some of these foods. And, but even, even, even lifestyle factors, like you need to go and either hit a tennis ball Mm -hmm. or punch a bag or go swimming and do something to kind of release some of this energy from the liver. So there are so many sort of, it, it is a whole lifestyle. And that's what I love about what you do is you're able to recommend diet, yes, supplements. And by the way, not just the same diet, because almost every single person should be on a different diet and unique Absolutely. foods are yeah. important to the individual. And so this is one of the things, again, I just respect so much about what you, uh, what you're doing. And one thing, and you could keep this a short answer if you'd okay. like, or you could go a little bit more lengthy on this, but I think a lot of conventional doctors today that are just coming out of school and they're not learning anything in addition like you have learned, they're breaking the Hippocratic Oath, and that is first do no harm, because I heard you say something, and that is 95% of the time you're using more you're using more natural treatments, yes. and only if you're working with somebody and you know, okay, we're going to have to do something here that's more conventional, a prescription, you know, a, a, a medication. We're going to do it then, but it's not the first thing or it's combined with these other things. And so I see a lot of doctors now and they're just writing prescription. There you go. They're not even looking at their lifestyle factors. And so do you think I'm right at all in addressing like the main oath that doctors take when they're totally. in school? Now, I took that oath. You did. They're, yeah. they're constantly breaking it. Yeah, I, I agree, but I think they're breaking it without realizing they're breaking it. So I think, I think there's a little bit of like, Hey, yeah, you know, we've got, I told you we have a big team. So we do hire doctors fresh out of residency. Right. So there's a lot of like, well, this is what we were taught. This is what we're supposed to do. This is what we were fed. And they don't realize, you know, the realization is not there. It comes sometimes either from a personal experience like I had, or from a family member that's gone through something, it takes it takes like an experience or the desire to learn more for them to go outside of that and be like, wait, why are we doing this? I mean, I had a pharmaceutical rep in as a patient just the other day, and she used to sell Abilify, which is one of the big depression medications. She said when she started, she drank the Kool-Aid. It's a great medicine. It's stopping psychosis. And they sold it to inmates in the jail. She goes, by the time she finished her tenure with this particular company, they had gotten the approval for depression, for adolescent depression. Then they got the approval for irritability with autism. So she's like, all of a sudden, this medicine that was supposed to take care of psychotic episodes for inmates is now being used everywhere and told is okay. So So again, for the physician, they're just getting the studies, right? They're being told like, oh, this is what's appropriate for this. So the education around how we are, you know, kind of bringing up our young doctors is very driven by the pharmaceutical industry. So that's where you're having like this rub where a doctor, I still believe doctors truly go into the profession wanting to help people, the majority at least. But I think the system, the education, the setup, it drives us all in the wrong direction. And I think that's the issue that you're seeing. Yeah. And, and to your point, not just to share my perspective is I generally agree with what you're saying. I do think most doctors go in because of that. I yeah. will say though, I was, it was, I was listening to one of the 
famous, uh, most famous philosophers of all time. His name's Thomas Aquinas. And yes. this week, it, it, and, and he, what he was saying is he said, hey, what, what, what is unethical? And, right. and he's getting into un, un, being, being unethical. And he said, there's really two levels here. There's one, you have, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, right? So somebody just getting in the money, they actually don't care about the patient's health. But then there is a level that it's, it's, it's not that it's unethical, but it's still not towards the good. It's not being virtuous and of high character. If right. somebody hasn't done their research and put forth True. the effort to learn True. the other things and, right. and do what they can. So, but anyways, generally I agree with you. I think most doctors do have good hearts. They get in yep. it for the right reason, but they just, they don't have the wisdom necessary. Like you have spent time understanding. Here's the other thing. It's like, you can go and memorize facts and that's knowledge, but wisdom is understanding patterns. Right. And that's so much about what Chinese medicine's about, totally. right? Yes. What is yes. the pattern happening? Recognizing that. Yeah. So again, that's uh, it's true wisdom, the way you practice there, which I love. Um, I want to talk about uh, just a little bit about your personal experience because you have yeah. such a unique and awesome story. And I think yeah. that I had a I had a, a physician tell me this once. This is when I was a student. And he said, you know, Josh, he said, I really believe that the people who have the most authority are the people who have overcome that exact condition themselves or helped a family member or a patient actually go through it. And so, but you know, you've, you've overcome some issues yourself. Explain to me what those were and how yeah. you did that. So mine kind of snuck up on me to be a hundred percent honest. I mean, I was a busy young doctor working in the emergency room and I probably had the early signs and symptoms of not being well very early on, but ignored it like many, many patients do. Uh, I had PCOS, which I didn't know at the time, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. I had hypothyroidism that kind of went with the PCOS as well. And the two together were presenting, you know, as an autoimmune disease. I had a lot of joint pain, a lot of inflammation. So basically what was happening, I'm like coming out of medical school, 25-ish, finished residency, 28, get my first job, working really, really hard. And literally like my hair is falling out. I'm gaining weight. I have like cystic acne, you know, everywhere. And at first it's mild, but then it starts to escalate, right? And then people around me are noticing. So six months go by, a year goes by. And I don't know why, like, and I hear this from patients, but I just thought it would go away. And so I'm trying to power through, right? I'm trying to get through the day. I'm like, I can, I can do this. And it was finally, you know, the people close to me who sat me down and were like, something's not right. You're not looking like yourself. You're, you seem a lot more tired. I think you should get checked out. And so that journey of getting to those diagnoses that I'm telling you about, it was eight to 10 visits over the course of a year, which I didn't have time for. Like I'm doing nights, I'm, yeah. doing days, I'm all over the place. It was so hopeless. That's all I can describe it as. It was like, you're stressed. Here's your anxiety medicine. You're depressed. Here's a depression medicine. Oh, go see a rheumatologist. Your numbers are fine. Go see an endocrinologist. Everything is okay. Go see the hair loss specialist. Hair loss specialist. That was probably my last stop. Put me on a medication. Uh, and that medication is effective for hair loss and for high androgens. But for me, it, when I already have very low blood pressure, it bottomed out my blood pressure. So I was working out, driving one day, took the medication, blood pressure bottoms out. I pass out. I get into a wreck as a, you know, in a car and I get into a wreck. And um, it was just, you know, you have these experiences in life that are just like, okay, I've got to do something different. This is not working. Yeah. And so I think it was that moment. So I start digging and we didn't have Google the way it is today, right? Where you could just like literally type anything in and it all pops up. So it took a lot of digging. And that's when I found, you know, that there was a board of holistic medicine practitioners. I didn't even know the word. And then I found 
Chinese medicine and went to a practitioner and, and his, you know, whole intake of me was completely different than the 10 visits I had just gone through. And I just remember him being so concerned and being like, oh my gosh, bad, bad chi, we have to fix it. But, you know, I didn't know what he was talking about. So yeah. it took a while to figure that out. But, but in that journey and in the learning, right, holistic medicine, Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, nutrition, you know, finally did the fellowship in integrative medicine with Dr. Andy Weil. I healed myself, right? My wow. hypothyroidism went away. The root of it was gluten. I needed to be gluten-free. And, you know, my PCOS, I learned to treat by really monitoring my gut and my diet and some, a few other things. And within 18 months, you know, I was no longer dealing with acne. I was no longer dealing with joint pain and inflammation. My hair was slowly coming back, not to its full glory as, you know, my mom wished it would, but it was coming back. And, you know, by two years or so, I would say I was pretty much healed. But in that journey, everyone's watching, right? Like everyone's yeah. asking me questions. My ER patients are asking me questions and what did you do? What should I take? And so that's when, you know, my husband just kind of looked at me and he was like, I think there's something here. I think you need to start something. You don't have to worry about, you know, expenses and overhead and running some big ensemble, just help people and like yeah. let's give them a little bit of information. And so that's how it all began. And, and to this day, right, I'm now deep and I'm 15 years in and we have a pretty big team and a pretty big practice, but I get super excited when I see young women come in, when women sort of between, you know, anywhere from teenagers to about 33 or 34 come in, I'm like, yay, you're going to figure this out. You're not going to have to go through everything I went through. We're going to figure yeah. it out. You're going to get pregnant without IVF. We are going to make sure your thyroid stays put all the way through perimenopause and menopause. This is our chance. And it's literally like, I feel like a little cheerleader when I see them. But the flip has happened as I've entered now, right? And I'm in that sort of perimenopausal menopausal phase of my life, where now I'm hearing the stories of my peers and women my age coming in and having that same hopeless journey. And it's not fair because what's happening is that the same dismissal that women receive in their teens and 20s is like multifold when you hit 40 and 50. And all those symptoms are getting dismissed and those hormone patterns are not getting recognized. So we've got women walking around feeling like they're old, going crazy, feeling yeah. like they want to get divorced when they don't need to, feeling like, you know, they can't handle things. And it's like, it's, it's, it's criminal back to your Hippocratic Oath. I think it's criminal for, for women to be walking around that way and accepting and assuming that this is normal. It's absolutely not normal. And there's so many options in this toolbox, especially this East-West toolbox that we can use to turn things around. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the tools yeah. in the toolbox a little bit. I would love to hear maybe in the last even couple of years, what are some things that you've started using in your practice the last, we'll call it the last two to five years that you've noticed really make a difference in the patient? You And, and again, by the way, we, I know we've talked, we're talking about holistic we're all over, yeah. But, but <laughs> what are some of the individual tools that you've been using that you're like, wow, this really made a difference with maybe this condition or this, this issue within the body? Well, I mean, I think some of the things you and I both know that don't change, right, um, are the influence of diet and gut health. Those are absolutes. That's foundational. It's where I yep. start with every single patient. I think after that, it has been helping people really understand the liver. I think that's new in the last couple of years, the importance of liver health, how we detox, what our genetics for detoxing are, how that plays into so many decisions, decisions like, am I going to give you hormone replacement therapy or not? 
Do you have estrogen dominance or not? You know, what is your body doing? Because again, we've got this environmental load too, right? So between the environmental load, this sort of superwoman syndrome that I talk about it, that women are in today where they're, you know, just super stressed, high cortisol, high insulin, all those things. You know, if we can dial it all back down to the liver and really understand how to take care of the liver, that's the game changer for everybody. So that's everything from a protocol for detoxing the liver, going on things like glutathione or some of the liver detoxifiers so that we can clean things out a little bit faster, really matching probiotics. Probiotics are not new. That's not new to the last two to five years, but the matching of probiotics to a hormone condition is new. So for example, if you have low progesterone, what is the microbial kind of conversation around that? Oftentimes it's candida. If you have estrogen dominance, what's the microbial conversation around that? Oftentimes you're deficient in a couple of strains of lactobacillus. So this more uh, personalized, individualized matching is absolutely new. Uh, We mentioned peptides. That's new. It is working for a lot of people. Now there's been this Ozempic, Wegovy, you know, nut craze, right? So for me, if we think about those medications, it's very anti how you and I practice and think, right? Because those medications delay gastric emptying. And at the end of the day, they are worsening something I've heard you talk about forever, leaky gut, right? So they're actually worsening leaky gut causing gastroparesis. So yes, you don't eat as much, your appetite goes down, but how is it any different or any better than the old school fentramine, which was also a stimulant that suppressed appetite. I'm like having trouble with that. So instead, I like the peptide world for that, right? Why don't we think about peptides that very gently work with the body in a different way to help with hormone regulation, help with gut health, and so much more. So that's been a little bit newer in the practice. What are a couple of the peptides that, that you've liked to use with patients for, you yeah. know, for, for certain things? That's such a great question. So um, I've got my favorites. Um, first of all, just for hair loss, let's forget like all the chemistry of hair loss. If we're just talking hair loss, I love, there's one called GHKCU, great results in regenerating hair. Um, I have been using that pretty consistently. Now we see a lot of uh, chronic candida mold, those two conditions, they are associated with hormone shifts as well. They worsen when progesterone levels go down. So we've been using KPV. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Mm-hmm. That's one yeah. that we'll use to help manage yeast. And then for kind of this hormone weight situation, we'll use a lot of CJC 1295. We're using ipamorelin, sometimes combining the two together. Yeah. Well. So, and then I've been um, using, it's a little bit newer. I haven't been using it quite as much, but intrigued, I should say, and starting to use like the Delta sleep inducing peptide and a pitalon a little bit more because we're having so many issues with people not getting deep REM and deep sleep. And that in turn is impacting the hormone axis and their energy and brain fog and all that other stuff. So those are some of the newer ones that have come into practice. I think that at the same time, we've gotten pretty confident with bringing those IVs in, like basically thinking about the idea that the liver and the mitochondria are very weak, very depleted. So let's give you IV glutathione. Let's give you IV vitamin C. Let's do alpha lipoic acid. Let's do taurine carnitine. So a lot of that we're using much more than we probably did in the past. But I think the fundamentals are again, diet, gut health, then moving into nutrients and then moving into some of these other ideas. We've been doing hormone replacement therapy the whole way through, but in a very specific way. Your liver has to be working well. Your gut has to be working well if we're going to write a prescription for hormones. Otherwise, go ahead. It drives drives me crazy when, you know, there's so many of these clinics and it's like, 
they're essentially yeah. hormone replacement cl- hormone replacement clinics, and it's doing it the way you do is just so much better with you know using diet and only using the parts and being very specific when you need to. So, anyways, that's one of the things that I, I do appreciate because because people can even take it's so easy to take even some of the things that aren't necessarily conventional. Maybe they lean a little more natural, but yet at the same time, you're not addressing the root issues, which is again something that. I love that you're doing. I actually wanted to mention with a couple of peptides. Uh, I had not take, taken peptides until this past year, uh-huh. uh, but I, I took uh, BPC-157 yes, and TB-500 because I had a major, I had a, I had an injury to my disc, ended up, I mean, I, and I could really notice a difference. Actually, it's pretty incredible. Uh, I was surprised at how much I noticed the difference in my healing and regeneration. And I imagine with maybe even more so with men, um, you yes. might use that or if somebody comes in with an injury, right? Well, I just myself, I ruptured my Achilles back in December playing squash with my son. So I actually put myself on BPC uh, 157 and the TB 500 and it made a huge difference. I feel like I recovered, you know, as well as you can recover from that type of injury. But um, yeah, we've been using that one a lot too for ligament tears, for different injuries, uh, for recovery from surgeries and things like that. That's been a game changer too. There's a, there's more, you know, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's MOTC. There's so many that we've been starting to, but that's newer when you're, when you're looking for things that are newer, I think that is newer for sure in terms of what we're doing in the practice compared to some of the stuff we were doing before. Yeah. You know, what, one of the things you said just prior to us diving into the toolkit here is a little bit about the liver. Yeah. And I think when people think about the liver, they think solely about, oh, detoxing heavy metals, environmental pollutants, that sort of thing. You know, when you look at, as, as we've both studied Eastern medicine, the liver is at the center of almost everything. The liver moves your blood. So it's responsible partly for blood health. It helps get rid of or balance things like estrogen. And so it is so key even to hormonal health. Talk to me just for a minute about caring for the liver and how that the liver, sort of the liver hormone relationship. I think it's an essential relationship. Now, many people now, which is what's exciting, recognize the terms estrogen dominance. They understand what that is. They understand that the body's holding on to estrogen. It's not detoxing it. It's not getting rid of it. A lot of estrogen dominance is rooted in the health of the liver. So the liver, again, we can think in multiple layers, right? It is responsible for detoxing. It is kind of the laundromat is what I've always called it for the body, where it's taking things in, moving them right back out in a way that the body can use it. But we have to safeguard our liver in multiple ways. So for example, if we're eating a lot of food that is high in you know, sugar and uh, additives and dyes and all that other stuff, that's harder on the liver drinking, right? Alcohol. I think there is more awareness today about alcohol. We have such a alcohol culture, but we know that alcohol is really hard on the liver. We know that sugar is really hard on the liver too, right? We have this abundance of candida or yeast amongst children and even adults and you know men and women alike. And I think that makes it very difficult for the liver, but how does the liver respond to all of these things? It responds by increasing glucose and insulin production leading to belly fat. So if you look around now, you see very young kids that have this pattern of fat distribution that's really connected back to liver health. That's exactly what women are going through as their hormones shift. We're finding that as they start to store and hold on to estrogen and that liver has trouble keeping up, it's like a machine that just has too much work to do. They have that same fat distribution, you know, the belly fat and you know, fat in the upper areas and stuff like that. So, so we feel like the liver is essential. Now, the part that's unique to Eastern medicine 
is that the liver was not just about, you know, physical chemistry. It was about your emotional health as well. So if you had undergone trauma or if you were living in kind of a state of repressed anger, all of that was weighing the liver down. The liver was boggy. It couldn't make hormones. It couldn't move hormones. It couldn't do what it needed to do. And so that is why if you think about it, the liver, and you know this, but the liver runs right, the liver meridian runs right through the breast. And I can look at a woman and hear her story. And I hate that I can do this, but I can literally put a timer. And I'm like in 18 months, this woman, if she doesn't deal with the trauma and the anger and all that's going on internally, externally, everything's perfect, right? But internally, if she can't let go of some of what has happened in her life or some of the knocks she's taken, then she's going to yeah. get breast cancer. And sure enough, it plays itself out every single time. So that again brings to light that we are not one-dimensional beings, right? We're multidimensional. And so that liver in Chinese medicine, even in Ayurveda to a certain extent, really was the seat in many ways of our emotional health, our mental health, right? Our thoughts and our feelings and so much more, and then drove what the chemistry was going to do. So when it comes to women's health and hormones, you know, if you have a boggy liver, if you're drinking wine, a couple glasses of wine every night, and you've got a high sugar diet, and you're living kind of this high stress, high cortisol life, you know, your liver's getting bogged down, you're setting yourself up for a hormone imbalance. And that hormone imbalance typically looks like some version or some variation of estrogen dominance, whether it's high estrogen, poor estrogen metabolism, or low progesterone. So again, we can wind so many pathways right back there. But the beauty of Eastern medicine is again, it's like, okay, think bigger than singular data points and think bigger than a single system. At the end of the day, it's all connected. Hey there, it's Dr. Axe. In the world of health and wellness, we've all seen our fair share of wearables. But let me tell you about one that's taken my personal well-being to a whole new level. I'm talking about Apollo Wearable. You know, I've been using it for a few months now and the results have been amazing. Better sleep, improved energy, and faster recovery. Developed by neuroscientists, this next generation device gives you the power to influence how you feel through your sense of touch. Let me break it down for you. The Apollo wearable harnesses the power of touch therapy with soothing vibrations, sort of like music for your skin. Higher vibrations boost your energy and sharpen your focus, while lower vibrations melt away stress and promote relaxation. So if you're ready to experience the Apollo effect, head over to apolloneuro.com slash ancienthealth. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com slash ancienthealth or use the code AXE to score an exclusive $25 discount. Yeah, you know, I, I remember. I, I love talking about this. I had uh, I'd mentioned this uh, master acupuncturist earlier, and him and I yeah. were having a conversation about about breast cancer. Yep. And he was sharing with me his his viewpoint on this, and he said, you know, uh, the breasts are typically seen in cultures being two things. One is nurturing a child. The other thing is sort of connected to our sexuality. And he said the yin and the yang. And he said, what I found is in in my my practice. He said, I found two primary reasons for breast cancer. One is that nourishment, but a woman gives and gives and gives and gives till there's nothing left. It's like, I'm working and I'm a mom and I'm mm -hmm. volunteering and I'm yeah. doing everything. 
And it's just, you pour yourself till there's nothing left. And he said, that's sort of connected to the yin and getting cancer on that side. He said, the other side is not being connected, uh, sexually not feeling beautiful, not being in touch with your feminine side, not. And so it's just so interesting when we dig into these things, how this mind body connection, and that's the thing I think that people are are becoming more interested. And I think if we're really getting to the root cause, you know, even the dictionary still until they change the definition at some point, like they keep doing definitions on stuff, but all that being said, it's body, mind, and spirit. And so our spirit, our thoughts, they, they, they impact our physiology so much. You know, one other organ I'd really like for you to talk about, and then I want to get into some specifics for men and women and their hormones. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about, I call it, you know, in Chinese medicine, they call it the spleen. I think the pancreas should probably be in there too, but insulin levels. You you had mentioned before PCOS yes. and the cystic acne. Right. Now, Alzheimer's sometimes I've seen it referred to as, and even the literature is type three diabetes. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't know if we should call PCOS type four diabetes or five or six, but my point is, is obviously there's an insulin connection there. Talk to me a little bit about the hormone insulin and even the pancreas and spleen and how those, and when I say spleen, I mean the Chinese medicine spleen and then the pancreas. Yeah, definitely. And that is a good point because honestly, even, you know, the Society of Endocrinology has advocated for redefining PCOS, not just as an ovarian disease, but an actual metabolic disease specific to insulin. So PCOS could very well be type four diabetes because the root of PCOS, whether you have cyst, whether you have acne, whether you have hair loss is the insulin irregularity. That is sort of the common denominator for everybody. But when it comes to the spleen, the pancreas, all of those pieces. Now, remember the spleen in Chinese medicine is all about digestion, right? Like how you digest, how you assimilate food, you know, how you're packaging and processing food. The emotion with the spleen is worry, you know? So for many of these women that you're describing and talking about, like, it's just constant, like, right. The brain is always humming. There's constant worry, whether it's about children or family or finances or or what have you. But here's the relationship. So the spleen is responsible for the assimilation and packaging of food. The pancreas is responsible for the production of digestive enzymes and the regulation of blood sugar. The two are connected. If you are not eating a diet that's right for you, and you are not in turn able to break those foods down effectively, then you in, you do end up having higher levels of blood sugar and leading to things like insulin resistance. In both Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, they had different words for this. They talked about dampness, right? They talked yeah. about you know um, agni and things that kind of weighed the body down. That's the way they thought about it. It's very damp. It's very heavy. It's weighing the system down. It's weighing the body down. So those were typically high sugar foods, high fat foods, too much dairy, too much meat. Those were the things that really messed up kind of the spleen energy and created dampness. So they would remove those really to give the entire body a moment to breathe. Now, again, they're so interconnected and they're connected to liver health, right? So, so again, the physiologic way to understand it is if you're eating a food that you don't digest well, the gut's going to have issues, your motility slowing down, you're probably not getting the nutrients you need, which in turn, you can't build hormone. Connected to that idea is you're eating these foods, you can't break them down because now the pancreas is over-responsive, it's pouring out these enzymes trying to help, and at some point it quits, and it quits for different reasons. We don't, you know, there's so many theories on, on why we have pancreatic insufficiency today, which I think is an epidemic. 
But in that quitting, then you're not producing amylase, which is the one that breaks protein down. You're not producing lipase, which is the one that breaks fat down, right? You're having sort of the stuckness. So people are literally losing fat and protein in their stool and staying in a nutritionally depleted state. And when we now wind back to hormones, the building block of all hormones is cholesterol. So as people are losing fat, they're having blatant pancreatic insufficiency, fat malabsorption. Then they're also having issues with cholesterol metabolism. They're having issues with blood sugar and their insulin levels are getting higher and higher and higher because you need stability in the gut and you need stability sort of overall in the digestive system to have lower insulin levels. So this whole thing is wound up. And so, you know, as the gut falters and the pancreas falters, blood sugar goes up, insulin goes up, you have more belly fat, you have more belly fat, estrogen, you get more stored estrogen, testosterone levels come down. I mean, we can do 20 loops around this whole thing. So it's all connected. But when with Eastern medicine had to say is that dampness led to digestive dysfunction, led to emotional and mental issues too. And then in turn, all of that is leading to a hormone collapse as well because the spleen and the kidney meridian, which regulates the hormones, are often supposed to work together. And when one is you know, too heavy compared to the other, then the work can't be done. So whether we take an Eastern medicine view of it or we yep. take a very lab-based functional medicine approach to it, or we just even think about it sort of holistically, whatever language we're using, these, these ideas are intertwined and they really do work together. And they're a part of the epidemic of insulin resistance and issues with weight today. Yeah. You know, it's important for everybody to remember that, yeah, I, I think when most people think of hormones or in being connected to organ systems, they think first of their reproductive organs, right? right? right. And I think that's where their head goes first, but realizing that really, I think that, you know, bigger issues might be tied to, as we're talking about the liver, uh, the pancreas slash digestive yeah. system, and even getting into maybe even after that could be adrenals. But, you know, obviously there's, there's some big things there. I, I want to ask you about some of the top recommendations for both men and for women. And by the way, also, I want to let everybody know that Taz has a new book coming out that I'm super excited about. And it's called The Hormone Shift. It's how to balance your body and thrive through midlife and menopause. And so specifically uh, for women out there, this is a fantastic book. You can get it at Amazon.com, bookstores nationwide. So if you also want to dive more into things, make sure to check out her book. I also wanted to mention, you know, I, I put on a, as we were talking about insulin, I uh, recently have started using Levels. Uh, they have a a glucose Modern. monitor. Yep. I love that. And you know, it's, yeah. I, I think they're just fan. Yeah. Have you used those in practice? Oh, I love them. Yeah. I use them in practice. I actually have a Dexcom, which is a little fancy yes. version waiting for me upstairs to put on, but yes, I love yeah. them. And I've learned so much from them on myself and on my patients as well. Yeah. Same here. I've been wearing that, you know, Dexcom levels yeah. uh, is the brand. And you know, it's just fascinating because there are certain foods that I thought my, my body does fine with that, you right. know, and there right. are other foods that my body, my body, like, for instance, I actually found that I do better with grains than I do probably fruit. And that really surprised me. Mm -hmm. um, now, certain fruit I do better with than others, though, as well. Like the fruits mm -hmm. that I thought I would do well with, berries, I tended to do well. But there were a few that just shot really shot my blood sugar up. But then even things like I digested potato, like I thought potato, potatoes didn't bother. So anyways, but I think for so many people, being able to do something in real time, like totally. uh, you know, level like a, a glucose monitor, yeah. that, that is a powerful test for people to be able to tell, hey, 
how do certain foods affect me? And really good as we're talking about PCOS or diabetes or acne or, some, or weight loss or those conditions could be a good option. So one of the things I love, Dr. Taz, that you have done such a good job of is really having really specific, great recommendations, both for men and for women. Can mm -hmm. you talk to me just what are five, three to five great recommendations that men should follow? You could mention lifestyle stuff, a certain yeah. supplement or herb or anything, and then three to five for women. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. So men, um, I have actually really enjoyed working with men over the last few years or so. Because as I've understood the chemistry and sort of what's going on there, here's here are the things that I really think would make a difference. Number one for men, the alcohol culture. So if we can start to bring alcohol consumption down, ideally, if we can bring it down to around four drinks a week, so much of the chemistry and the lab work that I see in the exam room would shift and change. We've got men with who are drinking, you know, two to three drinks a night. They're on business trips. They're traveling, they're doing business dinners, and the consumption of alcohol in turn is leading to estrogen dominance, which is a hormone mm. pattern. And that in turn is leading to lower and low, lower levels of testosterone. So many men think, oh my gosh, I need testosterone. My testosterone's low. I'm 40, I'm 50, whatever. But really, they need to work on gut and liver health because if they're getting pumped with big doses of testosterone, exactly what we just talked about with women happens with men, where they start to store, they don't metabolize it very well, and that has its own so I think the big thing for men is alcohol. I think the second thing for men is sleep and airway management. I continue to be super surprised by the number of men coming in who are not getting deep REM sleep. They're not getting deep sleep. They're kind of walking around in sort of a half awake state. And then they're medicating that state throughout the day, whether it's coffee or, you know, whatever else they're doing. So I think really paying attention to your sleep quality would be a second. And that's also connected to mm. hormone health. I think the third for men is to understand that like women, they do need the both protein and fiber, and they need to be eating at consistent intervals. A lot of men are doing really long fasts. I think those are great to do, you know, periodically and in some kind of cyclical way, but fasting day in and day out, you know, when they're already potentially having blood sugar issues is not best for men, no. especially if they're not sleeping, especially if they're super stressed. So that's another one. When it comes to supplements that I often recommend for men, kind of what I find myself, you know, if I'm trying to track my own patterns is I'm doing, um, for a lot of them, I'm putting them on zinc because it indirectly boosts testosterone. I am putting a lot of them on something for the gut. And that's usually probiotics and digestive enzymes because they're either traveling or stressed or whatever else. And that's one way we can control things. And then I'm usually doing something to help them with stress. Because men are not like, we'll sit around as women and talk about stress maybe. And, you know, and you guys are all like holding it in and thinking you're not supposed to talk about it. But when we get our scans, we do a lot of bioenergetics in the practice. Like we can see it right there. So I'm usually trying to do something to help them with stress. So ashwagandha is a favorite, holy basil. These are adaptogens. They help with stress management and cortisol production. If it's tied more to sleep, then I'll do magnesium or even magnolia bark. These are some of the things I'll try to use for men. So for men, I'm always thinking, okay, how do we get the alcohol down? How do we get the gut a little bit healthier? And then yeah. how do we get cortisol levels lower? That's kind of where my brain is usually with men. Now, every guy has his own story, has yeah. his own thing. But if we look at the diseases that men are dealing with, cardiometabolic stuff, you know, blood pressure, all this other stuff, then a lot of it is tied back to those three factors. Now, if we flip the convo 
and we talk about women is similar ideas, but a little bit, a little bit of a different order. So for women, because most of them are multitasking and juggling, and especially women going into perimenopause and menopause, their responsibility load is, is pretty big, right? They've got families, they've got aging parents, they've got careers that are usually at their prime right now, so they can't slide. So for a lot of these women, stress is a big factor, but here's how it plays out. Stress is essentially depleting many women of B vitamins. Those B vitamins, especially the methylated B vitamins, are critical for thyroid and estrogen and progesterone and many of the female hormones. So for women, I'm often starting with a methylated B in the morning and a magnesium at night because the issue I have with women is a very Eastern concept again, they're depleted. So I'm mm -hmm. trying to look at a woman and yeah. be like, how do I fix this issue of depletion? My first job is to build them and I can build them with nutrients. I can build them by encouraging them to increase their protein and increase their fat. That's a big one for women. Many of them are shying away from protein and fat. They're on the salad diet. You know, they're plant-based, they're doing all these things, yeah. but they're not getting the protein. They're not getting the fat for healthy hormones and they're not getting it to preserve their muscle mass. And instead by skipping all of that and thinking that they're in a calorie deficit or, you know, whatever is going on, you know, they are essentially driving up their blood sugar levels and their insulin levels. And then in the cycle of weight gain and having trouble losing weight. So for women, it's B and magnesium, you know, protein and fat and then movement. So many women, I'm one of them, you know, we loved our yoga and our Pilates and all of those things, you know, they made us feel good. They lengthened us, but as we're shifting into this perimenopause, menopause, menopause phase of life and losing skeletal muscle, quite honestly, you know, we have got to pick up the weights and I know we don't love them, but this idea of skeletal hypertrophy, where you are sort of, you know, loading on a particular muscle group, you can do 20 minutes, three times a week. It doesn't have to be the one hour workout. I used to dread it. I used to dread driving to my trainer or the trainer coming. And then I'm like, oh my God, I have to do an hour of this 20 minutes, you know, three or four times a week, switching up the muscle groups makes a difference, brings insulin down, manages blood sugar. If you were, you know, wearing one of those monitors and then in turn really does help with hormone balance. So I think for women going into perimenopause and menopause, really reevaluating both their diet and their movement strategies is critical. So those would be kind of my top three for women, but for both like sleep applies to both, right? Airway stuff applies yeah. to both, you know, stress management applies to both. But if I'm really pulling myself back and trying to think bigger and what are the common patterns, that's probably where I would put the two. So good. I want to throw a, a couple others in there for men. I, yeah. This is totally because I had this conversation this morning. I was talking to somebody and he looked the health that there was a, uh, a very close friend of mine. He looked the healthiest I'd yeah. seen him in years. And I said, what are you doing differently? He said, well, the only thing I changed was I started you know, taking two hours a week where I lift and then play pickleball. With, oh, with some guy yeah. friends. Yep, yep, and he was yep. like, just that alone, just lifting weights and just having fun with the guys playing pickleball. He's like, was such a game changer. Yeah. And, and I just, I, I agree with women. I know my, my wife is, um, she does a combination of a lot of weightlifting, but also Peloton. So her Peloton is almost always 20 minutes. Her mm -hmm. workouts are a lot of, you know, sort of 20 minute workouts. And so again, just totally agree. I think that's, uh, I think that's fantastic. Last thing here, here's what I want to ask you. Yes. What are you excited about both in your personal life, but also in terms of the future of medicine? Like, where do you think, where do you see things heading in the future? And what are some things you're excited about? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. So, you know, I just feel 
so fortunate. And I think when you can land in a place of feeling incredibly blessed, so grateful for all the experiences. I mean, I look, when you ask me personally, I look at my life and I'm like, I, I just am incredibly blessed. That's all I can say. I have a healthy family. You know, I'm excited to see my children are in high school. So I'm excited to see how that journey goes for them and where they're going to go and how, and how like, you know, not to be egotistical, but how they've been watching. I started these practices when they were babies. So they have grown with these practices, right? So very curious to see how the influence of that plays into their career choices and into what's happening with them. So I know that, you know, we're in an exciting phase for our family. I think personally, I just feel great. I think I'm past, and this is what I talk about a lot in the book, The Hormone Shift. I feel like our early struggles as young professionals or young women are a lot about rooting and grounding and establishing a foundation, you know, then we might like get through that little hurdle. And then we're thinking a little bit about, you know, how to maintain or how to grow further from that. I think where I want all women and men, quite honestly, to land sort of in this like late 40, 50 phase is just to be super excited. Like you've accomplished a lot in X number of years that you've already worked and lived. And if I look forward now, I'm 51. If I look forward and I have another maybe 20 productive years, right? Like I'm excited about making a global difference. I'm excited mm-hmm. about influencing communities. I'm excited about taking, you know, what I've been doing within my home and within my exam rooms out into the bigger world and really seeing, you know, consciousness change, not to be too hokey about all of it. Right. And that's tied to medicine. And so with medicine, you know, I've always from the beginning, as, as I realized this was going to be a bigger deal than, than just a hobby, you know, I've had this vision of changing medicine and changing how medicine is practiced, you know, and I'm not alone in that. I know there's so many people that feel that same way. The difference is we're actually doing it day in and day out in practice. And so I want to be able to see that model grow to where anybody, whether you're in Dubai or Bombay or London or Paris or Chicago or LA, you know, you have access to this way of thinking, to this merging of Eastern and Western medicine. So I think that's what I'm excited about. And hopefully I'll be able to accomplish that. But regardless you know, the stage has kind of been set for me to be able to do that if I'm going to make that choice. I just see the future full of possibility and hope. And I think I get so anxious or whatever the word is when I see women or men feeling so despondent, like when they're hitting Mm -hmm. their 40s and 50s. And I'm like, how can we change that? If you're feeling that way, either your energy is off, you're not in alignment with your mission and purpose, you know, your ego and your soul are at odds. How can we bring all that together? And I think then we can all be feeling like the next 20, 30 years are going to be amazing, not like our best years are behind us. Yeah, you know, I to your point, I did a post on Instagram last week and yeah. I listed off here are the top foods to help you live to be over 100. Yeah. Can I tell you the number one comment I got outside of people saying, this is my favorite superfood. So there's 90% positive. Right. But I had so many people say, I don't want to live to be 100. Right. I hear and, that all the time. Yes. Yeah. And it's and it's because those people are either, they don't have a strong pur- sense of purpose in life right. or they just, they're suffering, you know, and it could be mental suffering. It could be physical suffering, or they had a family member and they saw what they were like in their eighties and they were suffering and they, they're thinking, I, I, I'm correlating living to be in my eighties and nineties with suffering. But as you're saying, 
it doesn't have to be this way. There are yeah. so many great ways, as you're mentioning, to de to age more slowly and to still be active in your 80s and 90s. And so anyways, you know, and, and I'm seeing this now, you know, I, I am also seeing the people that practice what we're talking about, you know, there are, you know, men, both men and women who are in their 50s, but really look more like 30 year olds and right. feel more like 30 year olds. And yeah. so it absolutely can happen. And I know that uh, you and I are big proponents of doing that. I want you to talk to you to, to me about your book really quick. Let everybody know just in a minute. Yeah. What, what, what are some of the highlights and the things that you cover in your book and how can it benefit everyone? Well, it's tied very much to what we were just talking about. Like the word menopause, the word perimenopause are kind of bad words for women. Many women don't want to admit that this is what's happening. But this book is about journeying to your true self and doing it by understanding your physiology and your chemistry. So I talk about hormones, how the landscape for hormones was really set in puberty and how many of those patterns have repeated themselves throughout five different hormone shifts that most women experience throughout their lives. And using this holistic East-West toolbox, you know, everything from, again, diet, gut health, nutrition, herbal, you know, remedies, uh, mind-body strategies, understanding your energy and your emotional bodies, all of that is in this book to really help the reader arrive at a place where they kind of know how to take care of themselves in this particular transition of life. And they can change the dialogue and the language around, oh my gosh, I'm scared of perimenopause or I'm scared of menopause to like, oh my gosh, I'm not ever going to trade this incredible wisdom for wanting to live like I was 20 again, right? Instead, I'm going to take all the wisdom and really channel it into the right direction as I move forward. So in this book, they've got everything from literally a brain dump on hormones. So you'll know everything about hormones and the seven major hormones that you really should be tracking over and over again. And then some of the minor ones that you should be aware of to the influence of Eastern medicine on hormones, what it says about hormones, do you or do you not do hormone replacement therapy? And then getting to where you're able to identify your dominant hormone pattern. We each have one and we should be eating for that pattern, sleeping for that pattern, exercising for that pattern. And so in my 30 day hormone reset, it really helps the reader kind of identify, okay, this is my hormone pattern. This is my sort of treatment plan, you know, um, to go ahead and get started on. And it really walks them through that. And by the end of that 30 days, my hope is that they're in a much better place. They're feeling positive and hopeful, and they're ready to continue that journey forward. Well, again, uh, everybody, the book is called The Hormone Shift by Taz Body here and just, you know, brilliant physician. I, I'm so grateful for you coming on today and sharing your wisdom with us. And uh, I always love being able to talk to other physicians who uh, have a similar understanding about sort of East meets West. It's it's always so, so fun for me. Uh, so I want to encourage you guys again, check out The Hormone Shift. Also, I uh, want to encourage everybody, we have a lot of great new content coming out. Uh, we've just had an interview with Carrie Underwood. We have Dave Ramsey coming up, Tim Tebow, just some incredible, incredible people. And you're going to hear some of it on this channel here for the Ancient Health Podcast, but also you can go to my YouTube page, just search Dr. Josh Axe, and you can find those interviews living on YouTube or search Dr. Josh Axe, the Growth Lab Podcast, the other podcast there as well. And again, uh, Dr. Taz, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your your wisdom with us. Thank you. It was so good to see you again. And I really appreciate it. You as well. All right, everybody have a blessed week. We'll be back next week with some more of the Ancient Health Podcast. Hey, Dr. Axe here. I want to say thank you so much for listening today. 
If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss a thing. Also, if you're in search of more natural health content, you can follow us at Health Institute on Instagram or subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes below. Hey, thanks a lot and have a blessed week.